Monty, are you ready? I am ready. All right. It is 11.02, so. Okay. Well, um, I guess we will call the meeting to order and take roll, first of all. And I'm going to just read off the people I see here. Um, so Ron Gacious, I have present. Sarah Waters, I have present. Thomas Howe, I have present. Rebecca Buford, Paul Newsom, Edith Guffey, Erica Zimmerman, Shannon Ori. Uh, have I missed anyone? Erica Zimmerman. Yeah, I think I thought I said your name, Erica Zimmerman. Maybe. Okay. All right. So we do have a quorum. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Monty Sokup, obviously, as well. Um, I'm Monty Sokup, chair of the committee. Uh, we'll call the meeting to order. Uh, Danny, would you mind reading the opening statement? And then we'll open it up for public comment. If we have sure. Any. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. I am going to provide a few procedural reminders for the virtual meeting. This meeting is being broadcast and recorded on the City of Lawrence YouTube channel. The public chat function is disabled, so all chats would go directly to city staff if we had chat turned on, which we don't, so I apologize. When you are not participating in the meeting, please mute your microphone by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu. A red line through the microphone means you are muted. Please remember to unmute when you are participating in the meeting. For those of you joining by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. When you are participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you're not participating in the meeting, you can turn your video off. The video icon is located by the camera icon on the lower left side of the Zoom menu. You will still be able to hear the meeting while your video is off. You can turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video off when you are not participating allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen. If you have any trouble, just please let us know. The city reserves the right to mute microphones and or turn people's video off to minimize distractions. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for those of you listening remotely. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker, gallery view tiles all the meeting participants. All motions will need to be stated clearly. After a motion is made and seconded, the chair will call on board members individually to provide their vote. Mr. Chair, you will then need to announce whether the motion has carried and the count of the vote. When public comment is sought on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise your hand feature. Windows and Mac users can access this feature through the participants button at the bottom of their screen. Android and iPhone users can access this feature through the more button located at the bottom right corner of their screen. For those calling in by phone, you may dial star nine. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in-person public comment for those without access to technology options. Staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols. The regular three-minute time limit will apply. Thank you. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, at this point, we're going to open up the public comment. We will allow a uh, public comment on the list of items listed on the agenda. 
Each person will be limited to three minutes for public comment. Members of the public may provide public comment on multiple agenda items. General public comment on items or issues that are not scheduled to be on the agenda may be made after all regular business of the board has been conducted. Each person will be limited to three minutes for general public comment. Do we have anyone present or anyone raising their hand for public comment? Okay. Uh, we, yeah, we did not see anything on our end. Seeing none, I am going to close public comment and we will move to our first item, uh, which is uh, consider approval of the meeting minutes from July 12th, 2021. I move that we accept the meeting, the meeting minutes as submitted. Okay. Second. Okay, so I have Thomas who made a motion, Rebecca who Seconded, are there any comments or questions? Okay, seeing none, I'm gonna call the vote and uh, here we go. This is to approve uh, the minutes from July 12th. Uh, Ron Gacious. Pass. Is that I was the president at last month's meeting. Okay. So it's abstained. I'm going to call it abstain. Sarah Waters. Yes. Thomas Howe. Approve. Rebecca Buford. Approve. Paul Newsom. Abstain. Yes. Edith Guffey. Approve. Shannon Ory. Approve. Erica Zimmerman. Approve. Monty Sokos approved. Uh, motion passes seven for two abstentions. Okay. <clears throat> the next item on the agenda is to receive the monthly financial report. And I believe staff's going to do that. Good morning, board. Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, not a whole lot of changes on the monthly financial report on the expenditure side. Those look the, the same that they have the last several months. Um, on the revenue side, we did have another really strong month of sales tax proceeds, which is really good news. Um, we had um, $88,000 in um, revenue for the housing trust fund um, for the month of July. So another strong month. Um, so we're looking um, good compared to compared to where we um, have been and in relation to the budget. So um, good news on the financial report this month. Happy to answer any questions anyone has. Monty Sokup, Chair, I have a question, and that is, as we uh, look at our NOFO, I want to confirm what the amount is that we would, the potential amount that we could approve for that. Yes, Danielle Bushkutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, as you're having that conversation, um, you will be able to um, authorize the full budgeted amount for 2021 in the Housing Trust Fund. So that's the um, $1,243,000. Okay. Excellent. Are there any other questions regarding the financial report? Okay, seeing none, we're going to move on to item two, which is discuss the Affordable Housing Advisory Board membership options. 
Um, staff provided a memo. Uh, we've looked at this a couple times. Um, so as you may recall, I think the we asked the staff to look at this and our primary purpose for that was to try to figure out if there was a way that our not-for-profit experts in the field could participate in some way in our decision-making processes. And as I look at this thing, and I'm, I'm happy to go through the multiple options they've provided, um, I don't see uh, that any of them allow that short of those folks not being on the board and being available for public comment. Uh, because anytime they're either ex officio, non-voting, uh, whatever, they still would have a conflict of interest if they are an applicant and on the board in really any fashion, at least you know, somebody correct me if they read something differently into this document. Um, so that, to me, there isn't a good solution. Um, the other option that the city uh, staff provided was um, that we break the funding into two different buckets, whereas if somebody was had an application for services, but didn't have an application for a capital project that they could then participate because there wouldn't be a conflict, but that would really require us to break it into buckets every time we have a no vote. And in our last month's conversation, I think at least what I heard, and certainly correct me, is that we weren't overly interested in breaking it into buckets, that we were interested in having proposals and the NOFOs being open enough that we got the best possible projects. So I'm going to leave it there for a minute. I would certainly welcome any other comments. I guess my suggestion is I'm not seeing that any of three of these fill the bill for me and solve the problem. Um, so I'm not sure that uh, we should make any change or try to make any changes to uh, the bylaws for this board. And maybe if there's a different problem we're trying to solve, uh, maybe there are other solutions. I don't know. So I'm going to open that up for comment. Uh, this is Shannon Nowry with the Housing Authority. Mm -hmm. um, so one additional problem that I have always found is that I, the rating, the matrix is really hard to have the two things because there's a whole category that a service or a voucher doesn't get rated on so i think it's both problems um and and if i recall from last meeting was what i was hearing is that sir, the members didn't want to have to set aside a particular amount for a service or a voucher in case we had some project that needed every dime we had um that they wanted to keep that flexibility, but I'm not sure that we couldn't do both in the sense of breaking the two.
take all the money we have, we're going to zero fund the service slash voucher side this year. I think we could figure out a way to do that. Go ahead, Edith. Recording in progress. Um, this is Edith Guppy, and uh, that's an interesting um, conversation that we could have, but I think that's a different conversation than the board composition. And um, I would say, Monty, that I actually um, agree with your assessment. I don't think that any of the options are good ones. And they don't put us in a, any better position um, than we're in now. So I don't see any advantage to changing from where, where we are now, quite frankly. Okay. Thank you, Edith. I think Ron had a question. I, I, I concur with Edith's statement. I think that we do have a lingering issue with conflicts, mm -hmm. um, but the solutions that have been proposed, I don't think address those in any really meaningful way. And I'd rather just continue to work through the issues as we've worked through them in the past, rather than impose a change that really doesn't provide any advantage. This is Monty Silkup Chair. Okay, so, um, I agree with you guys and I agree with Shannon that we have, we do have the issue with the matrix and let's address that separately. Actually, we can do part of that today or at least start that process today, if not get it corrected for the next round of funding. And I agree the matrix as it is right now disadvantages non-capital projects. You can't get a perfect score on the matrix if you have it. So we need to fix that certainly. So uh, unless anybody has any other comments, I'm, we're not gonna take a vote, but I'd like to get consensus. So I'm gonna call roll that the consensus on this agenda item is that we are not going to make a change. I don't think it requires a vote, but I just, uh, I'm gonna call the roll just so make sure everybody has a chance to uh, not consent. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word, but okay, Ron. Just say agree um, if you agree with not making a change. I agree with not making a change. Okay, Sarah Waters. I agree with that as well. Thomas Howe. Yeah, I agree. Rebecca. Agree. Paul. Agree. Edith. Agree. Shannon. Um, I uh, agree that none of these three, but I disagree that we don't need a change. Okay. Erica? Agree. Monty, agreed. Okay, so um, <laughs> so I think we have consensus that this is not the answer and we're not going to take action on this. Uh, any of these recommendations, uh, we certainly could continue a little bit of conversation on uh, membership if we feel like we need to. Um, so with that, we're gonna move on, I think at this point. Uh, we'll take, we'll try to, 
uh, dive deeper into your concerns, Shannon, uh, at a later date, so we can maybe talk about some different options. So, okay, we're moving into uh, review and discuss the 2021 Affordable Housing Trust Fund Notice of Funding Opportunities. So I hope everybody had a chance to review the documents that were sent out. Um, I wanted to spend just a moment and go over the affordable housing goals and accomplishments, because I think this might help us, maybe not in this NOFA, or it may affect this NOFA, but talk about if we want to ask for a more targeted uh, projects, because some of our goals have been met and some of our goals have not been met. So we may want to think about whether or not we want to try to target to meet these goals, or if we still want to uh, continue to just seek out projects and select the best that comes. Uh, so narrowing the rental gap for non-student renters earning less than 25,000, where our goal was 100 units, we funded 104. Um, I just did some quick little math and that, <clears throat> um, that equates to about $10,000 a unit that we have subsidized these projects, which I think is pretty reasonable, uh, pretty reasonable. Um, the next one is low to moderate income renters who want to become homeowners and purchase. So we were hoping to have 100 units and we have funded 21. So um, we might want to obviously think about that. We're behind the curve. We are in year three, really, of funding. So, um, or this is the year three. Uh, at the rate we funded, that's $35,000 per unit that we have uh, spent on those. Obviously, that's a lot more expensive endeavor to create those uh, four purchase homes. So certainly something to think about. Um, the next one is the uh, low and moderate income persons with accessibility needs. Our goal was to fund 125 in five years or about 25 a year. Uh, we have almost 40 funded, and again, at uh, about $5,300 a unit is what that kind of average funding rate on that is. Uh, so we might want to think about that. And as you can see on the chart, that gets split kind of between us and CDBG. So we have a couple different uh, funding sources in order to accomplish that. That's true of some of the other ones too as well. Um, uh, supportive services uh, and vouchers. We have basically 45 tenant-based assistance vouchers available annually. <clears throat> That'd be 225 in five years, and we funded 298. And that's about $7,000 per family that we've funded. And certainly we had a concentration on this in the last couple of years because of COVID. Uh, so we need to recognize uh, probably that. Oh, Again, Monty, that's, that's this is Shannon Allery with the Housing Authority. Yeah. Could I ask um, that staff break out that number between vouchers and support services? Because okay. I don't disagree with the total, but I but I can't remember the complete breakout of what that was used for. Okay. Uh, Danny, can we... Uh, can you do that for the next, maybe the next meeting? Because I think we will, 
in coming meetings, we may have more discussion about these goals. And after three years of funding, we may want to look at these goals and figure out if we need to adjust them. Uh, so can, could we have that for the, be able to do that for the next meeting? Danny? And this is Danny Walters with Planning and Development Services. Yes, we can do that. Um, I also wanted to say, but I didn't want to interrupt you. If at any point in time you would like me to share a screen to show what you're looking at and what you're talking about, just oh. let me know. I mean, I know it greatly diminishes what people can see when you share a screen, so I just didn't want to pop it on there. But if you uh, at any point in time want me to share any of these documents, I can certainly do that. Okay. Does anybody on here want that at the moment? Are we doing okay? We're almost done with this, so. Uh, okay, so uh, low and moderate income residents living in households in poor condition to have improvements made. Uh, we were hoping for 70 units a year, uh, about 350 in five years, and we funded about 153. Uh, again, that's a, <clears throat> about $5,000 per unit on average uh, is what we're seeing. Uh, so we're a little bit behind the curve on that one, but um, and then first time home buyer uh, assistance, we have 21 completed and that's about 10,000 uh, based on the numbers, about 10,000 per unit. So I don't know that, yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to review that real quick before we move into the next, uh, the funding application. Do you have a question? Yeah, yeah, Ron. Um, I read with interest in the last couple of weeks about the new city initiative to better coordinate and I think also better fund uh, homelessness initiatives. And I know that the city entered into uh, an agreement with uh, NGOs that work in that space earlier this year. Um, I'm wondering if... Um, representatives of those agencies that are serving on the board could share with us what they're expecting from this uh, new, better coordinated effort with the city and what kinds of resources they think are going to be available. It's, it's my understanding that there are millions of dollars that are flowing into the city and the county, a substantial portion of which uh, may be uh, used for uh, housing assistance in some form. And, and I'm wondering if, if the folks that work with the NGOs can tell us what they think is coming down the pike in this area. So this might be sort of do we know who's working with the NGOs? Uh, so this is Shannon with the Housing Authority. I'm where I'm in on some of those. I know Rebecca is. Um, there's kind of two tracks. There's some KDADS funding that is uh, happening uh, primarily starting with the county on a pilot project. Then there is, Rebecca is heading up the capital uh, fund project. I am uh, working on another subgroup for permanent supportive housing subgroup. And then all of those are sort of coming together 
right now we don't actually, other than the KDADS project, we don't have any idea of the amount of funding that's coming. And so the preliminary work is about, can we identify projects and areas of need for homelessness and housing and supported housing and be ready to go with some projects once we do know what the money is. Uh, if I could interject here just briefly, I, I don't understand the, um, uh, uh, the, the letters. What is KDADS? Um, that is a state. Um, Kansas group. Department of Aging and Disability Services. Thank you very much. Monty, so good, Chair. Shannon, uh, I'm not going to pretend to understand all this, but um, I get the impression that you guys are out there working on this funding that's becoming available. That will ultimately generate potential projects. And then those, as it relates to this committee, would those projects then potentially come to and respond to the NOFO and ask for additional funding from this group? Is that how our relationship would work? Or are those, is there something else that this group should be doing in relationship to those funds? At the last Zoom meeting we had um, with uh, Brandon McGuire, who uh, is he and are, from the city is kind of spearheading that, a problem. and he was saying he thinks that would. I don't think it will be the same NOFA for the housing trust funds because it's going to be a different bucket of money, but they right. may still come to this board to to make recommendations to the city commission, but I'm going to defer to city staff on that. That was just what he said in the last meeting we had. Recording in progress. This is Danny Walters. Um, I can I can speak just a little bit to it. Um, like Shannon said, there's a whole lot we don't know yet. Uh, we do know that there's money coming. We do know that there's money coming to several sources, including directly to the city from the home program, which is one that you guys actually do look at and allocate. Okay. Um, we are not anticipating seeing the regulations and what we can use that money for at least for several months. So I don't know that it would impact this particular um, funding, NOFO, just because of the timing. Um, I don't know that if something came out with the regulations and we kind of knew as a city how that was going to be focused, that there would be enough time to put an application together for this. Um, I could be wrong, but that's just how the timing looks right now. Um, as Shannon said, there's a we are there are several of us that are in a lot of meetings as everything is trying to cohesively come together with this and to make sure that we're working with the county, that we're working with the providers, that we're working within the the grant money that we're expecting. So um, that's a real big non-answer. But we will certainly keep you guys appraised of as soon as we know dates, as soon as we know processes, as soon as as soon as we know. But that coordination is most definitely happening right now in a in a lot of different spaces. So. Okay, Monty Circuit Chair, thank you, Danny and Shannon. Um, are there any other questions on that? If not, we'll move on. Okay, so uh, in your packet was the trust funding, uh, trust fund application draft. 
Um, and I think uh, for the most part, I mean, I read through that and, uh, and if somebody has any read that and has changes, certainly we should address that. But I think more importantly, we need to move to the NOFO uh, because the application really will change Staff will modify the application based on what we put in the NOFO. So, um, does anybody have any direct comments on the application draft? Going once, twice, three times. Okay, uh, Mr. Chairman, did, yeah. was there um, was there any final determination from the discussion that was held at last month's meeting? regarding any changes in the uh, NOFO, what we were requesting of applicants in the area of identifying like minority board members or more minority right. leaders. Did, uh, I, uh, I don't recall what I saw last night. Was there a specific yeah. change that was made in that area? There were some changes. I think they're reflected in the NOFO and we can certainly go over that. Um, they're also reflected in the application. There are three specific, I believe it's three, I'm going from memory, questions about uh, <clears throat> minority involvement at multiple levels and how the project impacts those and implicit bias and all those, all that. There's quite a bit, there's, there's three okay. three pretty significant questions in the application regarding that. So, yeah, I see a specific criteria has been added mm -hmm. that directs us to look at their responses to racial equity impact analysis. Right. Okay. And the questions in the application relate to that specifically. And it's, if I recall, it's about maximum like 500 word response, something like that. There were three significant questions in there. Okay. Okay, so I'm that, with that, I'm gonna move on to the NOFO because uh, we have some specific things we have to determine in the NOFO uh, moving forward. So in the, uh, right at the very beginning, the first thing we need to determine is how much we want to uh, put up as is available, uh, making awards up to, and again, this is up to, so we don't have to do all that. Um, I think the only questions there are, do we want to use, you know, $1.2 million approximately? Um, or is there any reason to hold anything in reserve? Um, the only reason I can think of anything that would be held in reserve would be as if some of this other funding became available and there was some off off request that was needed that uh, I think that to me sounds fairly like a fairly slim chance. Yeah, go ahead, Ron. M Mr. Chairman, uh, can we ask staff uh, what large projects or light tech projects they may know of that are, you know, in our imminent future expect to see moved forward in the next year or two? Sure. This is this is Brad Carr, Community Development Analyst. Um, we do know that there has been one application submitted to the state for LIHTC 
um, from the Wheatland Investments um, for the Bethel Estates would be their third phase. Um, that probably will be several years out before the state um, gets to that, but that's kind of why um, there is that suggestion of contingencies. Um, in the past, as you know, you've had those off-cycle applications come to you, whether it be uh, for a LIHTC project or for in an emergency situation, there was even one. And so if you have some funding still in the pot and uh, hasn't been allocated, uh, those would be available to address those situations. So, Ms. Monty, Chair, just a second round, I'll get you. Um, what is the likelihood that there'll be a situation where we would need to do something more than annually? I mean, is one of those light tech thing come up? Is that something we'd have to respond to? Or could it fall into the normal cycle? Because I'm a little uncomfortable saying we might hold something in reserve and award a project without a process and giving other people opportunity to get access to those funds. So I guess what's the likelihood that a situation like that would occur? That we wouldn't know enough in advance that it could fall into an annual process. This is Danny Walters with the city. Um, I, I think that we would probably have some indication on the front end if a, a LIHTC project was, an, a LIHTC applicant was looking for additional funding. Um, we have we have not gotten that um, that indication from this particular project, but knowing that they had requested funding in the past, I think it's a, I mean, it's something that that maybe we need to to think about. Um, I, I mean, I, I would think that we would know a little bit in advance. Um, you know, some other things might pop up as, um, you know, quote unquote, emergency type things, um, something like what the housing authority had several, um, I guess it was last year, with um, an agency losing funding for permanent supportive housing and, you know, kind of needing to uh, acquire some funding uh, outside of cycle. So I think it just depends. I, I mean, I think some of those more structured ones, yeah, we probably would have a heads up on that, but some of the other ones we might not, so. Okay, thank you. Ron, go ahead. Uh Yes, Mr. Chairman, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. Uh, do we do we know what the status of the large project is in West Lawrence that's out, uh, Bob Billings and K-10? Ron, uh, Rebecca Buford with Tenants to Homeowners, um, who is the application of that project. Um, we have had some setbacks with that, um, so it would i would not apply for this round for it we may apply for tax credits next year um and then we would probably apply afterwards so next year's trust fund if if we knew we had that that's what i'd like to suggest that there's no reason that low-income housing tax credit projects cannot follow the schedule um, the issue is they may get low-income housing tax credits earlier, and then they're, they can't claim they're going to have housing trust fund money locally to get that. I mean, the issue is it's helpful to have housing trust fund local money to get the application or to get the trust funds, 
but you can also get them afterwards. So I feel like they there's no reason that those projects can't plan to either submit before and be honest about that they don't have the LIHTC, but if we do, it'd be great. But they also have several years to develop the project. It doesn't happen the next month. So they absolutely can apply later if they need gap funding. And so this idea that we need to make a special section for them if they get funding, I think is dangerous in the way that Monty said that we're, we're leaving our process. And I think we all felt that the last time. And I don't think it was made very clear that that wasn't necessarily the end of that project. The reality is tax credit projects can be spread out over several years. Um, and the state will often work with us for years to get that. They're big developments. They take several years to build. My two cents. Okay. So uh, thank you, Rebecca. It's Monty Silver Chair. Back to the task at hand, which is um, determining how much we want to put in this NOFO. Um, we have up to $1.243 million to put in there. Monty, can, yeah. can I jump in really quick? I apologize. Sure. Um, Danielle Bush, Cutter Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. I gave you the wrong wrong number. It's one oh. million two hundred and thirty six thousand oh, dollars. Okay. So I'll repeat that one more time. One million two hundred and thirty six thousand dollars. Right. Apologies for that. Okay. Thank you. Um. Do I have any suggestions? Do you want me to make a suggestion? <laughs> yeah, Ron, go ahead. Rebecca. Mr. Chairman, I, um, I I make a motion that we make available a maximum of $1.1 million for this NOFO. Okay. I don't know that we need a motion, but that's out there for discussion. Anybody, any thoughts on that? Rebecca Buford with Tenants to Homeowners. I agree with that. Um, it saves a little bit, um, but not much, which is what I was going to suggest too. Um, that the reality is that these ARPA funds are really probably not going to flow till next year. So one, these projects that we may need more money for could probably be applied for next year's NOFA. NOFO. I'm never going to say that right. Sorry. And, uh, the other issue is that if um, if there is something in between that, we would have some money that we would have accumulated with sales tax from that point. So I think that's a very, you know, we're still saving a little bit for emergencies, but making sure that most of it's going out. Okay. Consents? Raise your hand if you agree. 1.1, okay. Okay, we're going to 1.1 million for the amount we're gonna have there. Um, we will go over uh, the next thing on the or on the uh, NOFO is the application date, but we're gonna go over the timeline at the end here after we get through this document. So we'll, we'll generate that. 
Uh, just going over a couple things we kind of went over quickly at the end of our last meeting because we kind of ran out of time. So I'm just uh, making sure we're all on the same page here. Um, applications will have five minute presentation and there'll be five additional minutes um, for questions. So we the application presentation and questions will be 10 minutes per applicant. We good with that? That's significant change from last time. Okay. Um, we're gonna, we will, we still need to set the date on which we will uh, do that, but we're gonna look at that in the time, time schedule. Um, I have one change in the language on the award and recommendations. Um, our language says recommendation be based on available resources, the ability of the project to meet the stated goals of the housing trust fund, scores based on the evaluation criteria, past performance by agency, et cetera. I would like to remove the scores based on the evaluation, but leave the evaluation criteria because we have rarely ever awarded projects based on the scores. I think it's one criteria. It's part of the criteria we use, but we have never, to my knowledge, awarded purely on the score. So I think we should take scores based on out of that sentence. Okay, so that gets to part of Shannon's <laughs> concern. Uh, but not all of it. So we're gonna we're still gonna work on that criteria. But uh, so any objections to that? Okay. Then uh, two more questions. Do we want to separate the buckets? At our last meeting, I thought I heard that we did not want to separate buckets. We want to certainly take applications in both and have a fair evaluation criteria to evaluate the projects, but not to actually separate funds into two buckets. Is that fair? Is that what I heard? Is that what other people heard? I just wanna look around, I'm not seeing any objections to that. Okay, finally, um, is there any additional information that anyone feels we should add to the NOFO? Okay, I think I have one more question. Sorry, I lied to you for just a second there. Um, in the, fall, the following criteria we used in evaluation of proposals, item 10 is how will the project address the impact of COVID-19 on the community? Do we want to leave that in or do we want to consider removing that? Any thoughts on that? I would say as long as the pandemic is still on that we leave it in. We can remove it later on if we need to, but I think that the effect on the community is st it's ongoing. We we need to be mindful of that. Okay. I'm I'm good with that. Consents on that, leave it in. All right. And with no other additions, I think we are off to the timeline. And Danny, I'm going to ask you to share the timeline, uh, the current timeline for this. 
if you could do that. I sure can. Because this will set the dates uh, on which we will that we'll use in the NOFO that we skipped over. So um, we're obviously reviewing the documents. Um, and I'm going to ask us ultimately to approve the documents with the edits we requested at this meeting. Um, Bruce draft NOFO documents. So at the September 13th meeting, we'll approve those. Uh, to go to the commission on the 21st of September. The NOFA is released on September 22 with applications due November 1st. That gives them about five weeks. And you may recall from the last the schedule we looked at last month, we only gave them about three weeks. So we kind of changed a few things and sped that up. Um, we'll get those documents, have the presentations in November. Uh, we need to talk about that a little bit. Um, we could have that at our normal November meeting, and we could extend the time a little bit, depending on the number of applications that may take more than two hours. Uh, so I would suggest we maybe move, make that a three-hour meeting, if we can do that, and have it at that meeting instead of having a separate meeting. Is that a thumbs up on that? Um, then we'll, we'll plan on that, hearing no objections. We'll plan on having the presentations at the normal November meeting and um, with some time to talk about them after. Um, we kind of move, that gives us a little more time over the break to do your evaluation. But the scores would be due to to uh, staff on December first. So that gives you the week after Thanksgiving to to get that done. Um, we'd make the recommendations at our December thirteenth meeting. Does that timeline look acceptable to everybody? Any comments on that? Okay, with I've got, I've got yeah, a question. Paul. Yeah, Paul. Paul News, I'm Lawrence Home Builders. Um, I guess just to take one step back, I'm just not following on if we're going to go through the scoring matrix, a deadline for scores. I don't quite follow why we would take that out of the recommendation process, even though it might not be the end factor. Why would we? Maybe I misunderstood something. Why would we take out the scores from as part of our recommendation process? So I'm not saying we're going to take this. I wasn't recommending we take the scores out. Just that we're not going to make a decision based only on the scores. It because we have never awarded. I mean, those projects based solely on those scores, and I think it's misleading in the NOFO. That's just my. We're still going to use the scores as a as a factor, just like we use, um, you know, uh, I don't know how well it, it meets our uh, 
our goals. You know, use that as a factor. But okay, so I just want to make sure that if it's a factor, do we need to include it as what we're going to make a, as part of our recommendation process, or is that? I'm just trying to square that in my own brain. Yeah. Um. Monty, this is this is uh, Danny Walters with the City of Lawrence. Would it would it help if maybe we, uh, in between this meeting and the next meeting, worked on some some different language that instead of it saying specifically the scores will right. be utilized, that maybe we, uh, you know, I don't know, discussion of matrix or discussion of project outcomes or or, or something like that to maybe speak to the scoring matrix, but not call it out as the score specifically that's going yeah. to, to drive the discussion? That, that would be helpful, I think. Okay, we can do that. So I think we can, if we're in agreement on the timeline, we can pull that down. <clears throat> um, okay. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, the funding matrix itself and the uh, the work that the, um, the, the I can't think of what they call it or what we're calling it, <laughs> but it's the it's the work that the staff does to kind of put together key facts like the leverage ratio and the AMI being served. They kind of do this short fact sheet. Um, they probably don't think it's short because there's <laughs> quite a few items on it, but um, they put together this fact sheet for us. And then we we uh, also have the matrix. And um, the interesting, or one of the things that causes me heartache about that is the leverage, which the staff calculates, but then gets included as part of my own personal score. I had nothing to do with how that got calculated. So I'm wondering if the leverage piece, and maybe this gets to some of uh, some of Shannon's question, the leverage piece goes over to the fact sheet because it's not really a judgment call, it's a mathematical calculation. So it should really be a fact and be used that way. And then the score, then the matrix really becomes how well does each individual feel it aligns with our goals? How well do you feel the applicant gets qualified? And then how you feel about uh, the financial capacity and the likelihood the project will be completed. And those are really things that are more judgment-based and I think fall more into the realm of what our role is. And it takes away that mathematical piece and eliminates the inability of a uh, project to get the maximum score. So I'm going to suggest that minor change uh, today to help start on that conversation. I'm certainly open to other ideas on the uh, on the matrix. Uh, one thing we might think about is the uh, um, we asked the, the question about racial equity and all of that in the in the application. 
maybe a judgment of how well the, the application addresses that could be another thing that is in the matrix that you make a judgment call on because there's not a um, not a you know, mathematical way to calculate that's, a, that's something that's a judgment. So I'm going to maybe suggest that we add that to the scoring matrix um, or some some question on that and certainly our uh, staff folks can help us draft a question appropriate for that. But it might be, you know, how does the mission and programs and services align with our uh, racial equity statement, you know, or something like that. Um, yeah, Shannon. So this is a question for staff. Um, those of us who do this, we have some, there are some fair housing things that we are, we have to comply with and we are not allowed to make decisions based on, you know, protected factors. And so sometimes I struggle with, I mean, I can't, I mean, there's a limit to how much we can do affirmatively because of fair housing concerns. And I guess I'd just like to ask Danny maybe to help us a little bit with, when we go to answer that, you know, I mean, you know, honestly, the best I can say is that our waiting lists are open to everybody and they come in on their date that they apply and we house them strictly from that list. It doesn't matter, right? Um, and so I get kind of hung up a little bit and concerned about having to be like, exactly how to respond to that question. I don't know, Rebecca or Erica, if you have kind of similar issues. Rebecca Buford with Tenants to Homeowners. Shannon, that's a really fair point that we can't say we're only going to target this population that needs more or less because of uh, ethnicity, you know, it would just, we would be in big trouble with fair housing. However, I think we can answer that on, like Shannon, you have a great multi-ethnic staff, you know, so talking about how you make sure that the, that equity is achieved, you know, in the institution itself, um, is probably what this group is looking for more than, you know, affirmatively allowing, you know, making housing available for a targeted population. Um, that's how I always try to answer how are we making sure inherent bias is, is addressed or tried in the best we can with fair housing. How do, like Shannon, you have a great, um, system where they can protest any sort of eviction or, you know, and maybe part of that process looks at equity. Um, I don't know. There's seems to be some arguments there, but Shannon's right that there is very limited in the sense of uh, we're going to make this program for this group of people. This Monty Secretary, that's a good point. And I think, you know, also we're not, I'm not sure we should be <clears throat> trying to, you know, work a certain population, but we certainly need to make sure that it's accessible, equitable, and non-discriminatory. 
so that everybody has an equal opportunity, you know, and we don't have those, you know, uh, biases don't creep in and, you know, unintended consequences occur. Um, so I would suggest maybe that, you know, if you're an applicant or a potential applicant, that we look, take a hard look in the application document that was provided and look at those three questions and see that we are getting to what we need to get to um, based on the federal regulations that you guys you know, are using and we're um, happy to adhere to. This is, this is Danny Walters with the City of Lawrence. Um, we can certainly uh, have those discussions as staff. I know that, um, when we were looking at this similar question last year, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was in the same capacity of putting some kind of score in the scoring matrix that our, um, our legal department had indicated that, you know, basing the decision to fund right. on that um, would, would be problematic just because there is a lot that has to go into documentation to show that you have a specific problem that you're trying to address. Um, but we can we can certainly look at that. Um, I don't know if um, perhaps this is impacted a little bit by taking the the term we are looking at scores out of the um, evaluation criteria. Um, I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I know anything about how. <laughs> legal stuff goes, but we can certainly have that that conversation as staff and with our legal department behind the scenes and see if there's some way that we can incorporate um, something like that into the scoring matrix. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, even I think a question even like, uh, you know, service eligibility is equitable, accessible, and non-discriminatory. Doesn't say we're targeting anyone. We're just saying we're trying to. The process appears to be fair for everyone. Um, I don't think there's any. I can't imagine. Again, you know, I'm not an attorney, but I would argue with the attorney over whether or not that, that's a fair thing to put in there. If this is Danny Walters with the city. I think. So, I mean, something like that seems seems reasonable because yeah. it's making sure that everyone has equal access to to be able to. Um, secure funding from the agencies. So um, yeah. we'll we'll definitely we'll come back with something next month to you guys. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I would even add, you know, uh, and I, I, I'm cheating because I'm looking at an application from a different process. <laughs> but uh, uh, they have a question here: Is this process to obtain services represents low barriers to access, with any implicit barriers mitigated? You know, those are some questions that reach to what we're trying to get to. You know, regardless of who you are, are the barriers low to get these services and access to these programs? So I think we need to think about some of those things to add as some of the criteria we look at that we're making a judgment call on in our matrix. Oh. Don't know if we're going to solve that today. Certainly, uh, if if we want, we could ask staff to work on some additional questions for the matrix that we could consider at our next meeting because we don't have to have those developed until the next meeting. And then we'd have questions for you to have a chance to think about. 
whether you like them, don't like them, we can add them, leave them out, whatever. Are we open to that? Would you like something like that as opposed to us just dreaming things up here on the fly? Yeah, Edith. Yeah, Mr. Chair. Um, this is Edith Guffey. Um, I, I think we do have to find some way of asking these questions because as much as um, we we can't ask the questions we can't ask, right. we have to find the questions we must ask right. because there are housing discriminations going on in our in our city, we know there are. And how we get to those and how we find out that there are and how we protect in our um, grants to assure everything we can uh, that we eliminate those biases as much as we can because we know that's a reality. And so how we phrase the questions, how we root those out, how we guard against that um, and finding a way to ask those is absolutely essential because we know that that's happening in this community. Mr. Chair, this is Sarah Waters with KU. I, I agree with Edith. I very much thank you for saying that. I also feel that if we're going to say that something is an evaluation criteria, then we should be able to measure upon it in some capacity. So um, even if it becomes an other score on the matrix. So, I mean, why are we going to ask about COVID-19 impact if we're not going to subjectively be able to weigh whether or not they addressed it? And so I think that otherwise, let's not say it's a qualification. Um, so I just, I know it's very hard, but I think that that's important that we, even if we all look at the other category differently, that I think that's the strength of a diverse background of people on this group when they're reading. So to at least score to weigh on my own scores that something might be a little bit higher. And then we have that discussion when we all come back together. Uh, this is Shannon Howery, Housing Authority. So, I mean, <clears throat> one way that we sort of monitor it ourselves is, is I track my demographics and, and our answers to my demographics are voluntary for our participants, but I actually can produce a document that shows who we serve, um, both by income levels, by sex or gender, and by race and ethnicity. And so, I mean, uh, if we want that kind of thing, then we should, I mean, I mean, it could be very fair to say, show us your demographics of who you serve. That would be helpful. <clears throat> this is Danny Walters I, 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 from the city. I will add too that um, we did implement in our reporting mechanism for this last um, amount of, of grants that were that were given through the AHAB to get that demographic information. We essentially used the same form that the agencies report to us for the federal grants to capture that information, like what, what Shannon's saying. So for a lot of these agencies should definitely be, be keeping demographics like that and 
you know, hopefully we'll be able to get some good information to you about who we're funding and who they're serving. So just as a side note there. Okay, so if we if we have the ability to get that data, are we including that in our NOFO application so that we're gathering that data? And when I see, sorry, Rebecca, I'm a big on you. When we see tennis homeowners listed there, we see the demographics that they serve as an organization. Um, or if, if uh, or any of the other organizations. Can we can we add that to our application so we actually have that as a criteria and it becomes another line on the on the fact sheet, if you will, of the demographic that they, that organization serves. Okay, uh, one last thing, then we're gonna, I think we'll move on unless somebody else has something. So I think we need to look closely as staff as we do this. We need to look at the following criteria. It says the following criteria be used in evaluation of proposals on the NOFO. So what I'm kind of, what I kind of heard Shannon say, or Sarah say, I'm sorry, what I heard Sarah say was if we're gonna list the criteria, it should be on our matrix and we should we should we should put a score against that thing so if we got 10 criteria here for instance covid we should have a criteria on our matrix for how well the thing addressed no covid is that fair sarah is that what i heard you say kind of Yes, Sarah Waters with KU. Yeah, I think so. Although I don't know if it has to each be itemized, if it could be other other criteria. Um, again, people will look at that differently as they score. Um, but yeah, I do. I look for those kinds of things when I read right. um, and to be able to note it somewhere because I'll bring it up in discussion. But if other people weren't looking at it, then it, it just I think it will make our discussions more uniform if everybody knows that we've got to keep going back to goals and you're going back to the financial and you're going back to this and this and this so that we're all looking at it as aligned as possible. Okay. But I could go with all of them itemized if others think that would be helpful. This is Danny Walters with the city. Um, I guess one thing to to consider with that when you're having this discussion is is it is it possible that all of the criteria are are referenced, but some may be in the form of the matrix and some may be in the form of the uh, key outcome worksheet? Because you kind of circle sure. back to that leverage question, because the leverage question is on this list. Right. But we've talked about not mm -hmm. not wanting to have that specific leverage question on the uh, on the actual matrix. So. Yeah. Is it is it fair to say if it's covered in one of those spaces as long as Everything yeah, I, is covered. Monty, so I think it would be fair to have it. But I think the ones that are judgment calls really need to fall to the people evaluating. You know, I don't want to put, I would rather have staff doing the things that are yes, no, you know, <laughs> a number, calculated number, and not putting that judgment so much in your ballpark as that being in the board member's ballpark. I think that's the value that the idea of this board adds to uh, to the process. 
So I look at it with that lens and decide where to put them. All right. <laughs> yeah, Rebecca. Just one quick note on that. Um, this probably tells you I was uh, raised by a math teacher, but can I suggest that you put, you show your work, your math in the leverage on how you figured it? Because I've noticed sometimes that doesn't always match what the applicants have said in their application, or at least it gives everyone a, a way to discuss that if, if there's, I know math is math, but there's always interpretations on how you figure the leveraging. Any other comments? This is Paul with Lawrence Home Builders. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about this, this staff showing the math for the leverage. I thought that yes. was right. Is that correct? That's what I understood. Okay. Okay. Anything else on the NOVA? Going once, going twice. Okay. Uh, I guess at this, I don't think we have to vote on that. We're just sending the NOVA back to staff with our comments and a request to look at the matrix and fact sheet and come back to us next month with revised matrix and back sheet kind of formulation. And so that's where we're going. Okay. Uh, future notice of funding opportunity timeline discussion. So uh, Danny, I'm giving you work out here, but if you would bring that up. Um, so this year we got kind of a little bit crunched on uh, time on the NOFO. Uh, our original timeline didn't allow really the applicants enough time. So we had to modify it and, and crunch a few things. And so uh, Leah and whoever else she worked with at the, at the city came up with a proposed timeline which moves things forward uh, and helps us miss holidays and make sure that we have enough uh, time in the process to uh, <clears throat> give the applicants plenty of time and then coordinate, uh, you know, set commission dates and those kind of things. So this is the recommended timeline. So instead of starting in uh, June or July, when we started this year, we would start in April with discussing the funding priorities. Again, that would be looking at our goals. Um, and deciding, you know, giving staff direction on the NOFA on different things that we want to do. Uh, you know, may we'd approve those and then move on through the process. Uh, it's really just giving us more time. Is there any, are there any comments on this proposed timeline for the next funding cycle? And kind of adop adopting this as our plan moving forward. Okay. All right. If uh, if there are no comments, I saw a thumbs up from Shannon. If there are no other comments, I'm going to suggest that we adopt adopt this. 
Uh, I don't think there's any motion required to do this. It's really a process. Um, okay. Uh, quick updates. Uh, meeting with human relations. A couple folks from the Human Relations Commission <clears throat> regarding our request to them to take up the uh, charge on the uh, you know non-discrimination of funding sources for rentals and uh, a couple other things like that. So they are uh, going to take that to their next meeting. They said that that would probably go to a what they call a uh, I might get the term wrong a crop no cross cutting committee recording in progress that, uh, has really covers several. Uh, several topics that, that don't fit nicely into other <laughs> sections of work that they have. So, uh, but they were willing to take that on and uh, we're certainly not unaware of, of that, uh, those kind of things in other communities. So I think that's all I have to report at this time. Uh, are there any questions on that? I don't know that I can answer them, but um, okay. City identifies properties for potential housing developments presentation in September. So that's next month. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and then a public hearing for the 2020 Community Development Block Grant is all for the later this fall. Is there any other new business? Community board members, what is that? Um, I just want to say. Uh, um, Madam, uh, yeah. Mr. Chair, this is Edith Guffey. Yeah. I just want to say the my uh, growing um, angst about what appears to be a lack of uh, coordination about uh, affordable housing in the city. It seems that uh, there's this going on here, this going on here, this going on here. But there's no um, comprehensive oversight, which uh, I saw again today, where there's uh, uh, Shannon and Rebecca are in their jobs, of course, very engaged in this conversation about dollars flowing in. Uh, and some people on the city know about it. Uh, but you, you would think that someone from Ahab would also know about it. And we actually don't. <laughs> and so I just sort of wonder this sort of bifurcation of the whole affordable housing piece in Lawrence. And would there ever be a time that there might be some big coordination of all of this, of this big issue? But where does that happen? I mean, the city's engaged in it in so many places. I mean, we're, we're appointed by the city. And yet there's just a lack of coordination. I just simply wanted to register my dismay about that. Yeah, Ron. Thank you, Edith. Go ahead, Ron. I share Edith's dismay over the lack of transparency and communication and inclusion of Ahab in the discussions about how to move forward with uh, uh, 
strategic direction on homeless issues. I spoke to one of the current city commissioners about this issue recently, and and uh, I had a specific question for him about funding uh, priorities as we moved forward in our uh, 2021 NOFO. And he referred me to the resolution that the city had signed uh, May 18th, I think it was, Resolution 7373, the city passed, that deals with um, working with uh, NGOs on homeless issues. And um, it, it didn't answer my question at all. I mean, that, that, uh, that resolution is quite comprehensive, but it's also very vague. So it didn't give me any, any indications as to what priorities should be. And the, com the comment to me was, we're, you know, we're, we're going to work to fulfill our obligations uh, as they're identified in the resolution. And then I look at the resolution, I think, well, all right, good luck with that. I mean, it's, you know, okay, so we're going to solve homeless issues. And, uh, but, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I've got, you know, I've been on this board now for three and a half years. I've really got no idea what the city's overall strategy is in addressing these issues. As much as we've talked about it, uh, and, you know, Ahab doesn't have the primary responsibility to solve the homeless issue, but, but we've certainly talked about it quite a bit, and we're working on the, the perimeter of the homeless issue. Um, uh, yeah, if there if there's a comprehensive strategy being assembled, I think it'd be great to have, you know, public input on that. And, and and maybe these meetings are open to the public, and I've just not seen any notification of them. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Ron. Uh, go ahead, Rebecca. Rebecca Beaver with Tenants to Homeowners. I have always been frustrated with the lack of a comprehensive affordable housing plan. Um, we tried to do that very early on and for various reasons it was not ever considered a priority. Um, the good news is because of the funding that is coming down that is more than we've ever seen in 60 years in affordable housing because of ARPA funds and and the pandemic, it feels like, and I know you're all feeling like there's all these meetings going on and, and who knows what, we feel that way too. We're trying to attend as many as we can, but it feels like we're trying to create some structure. So I don't, in this moment, I think, I know the city and the county are putting together a strategic plan over the next year. Um, or trying to, I think we have to be a huge part of that. I think as Ahab, we could suggest taking part of that plan, maybe in, in our lane on that, that's not homelessness, but affordable housing in other ways, um, and maybe just demand that we be a part of working on that plan because we ultimately do the goals and the funding um, some of the funding and, and yeah, we should be integral to that process. Um, that may be a, a very um, exact way to kind of put ourselves into this process. Uh, 
Shannon, uh, Housing Authority. Um, Danny, could you maybe give this board the update on the position the city's trying to hire? Um, because it, it is multifaceted, but in that whole spectrum between homeless to home first time home buyers. And we play in part of that, but we don't really address the emergency housing homeless piece, but and and there is a ton going on. And I mean, maybe that's something that we should put on our agenda is like sort of a update on the efforts going on because you know, like you just said, Rebecca and I are in, uh, we've done a million Zooms on this topic, on that spectrum of all the different kinds of housing. And, um, you know, it's, but I, but it's very clear that you guys aren't getting that information and somehow we should be getting it to you. Yeah, this is Danny with the city. Um, in the proposed budget from the city manager's office, there uh, and Ron had alluded to this earlier that they are uh, they are looking at expanding what is actually the division that Brad and I work in into this housing initiatives uh, division, and um, one of those pieces, as was listed in this uh, budget memo, was for a uh, homeless programs coordinator through the city. And this person would work really closely with Leah's position, bringing a natural progression into feeding information into, into this body. Um, that's We're kind of in that process now of it is going to be grant funded. So we have to look at the funders from the um, Kansas Department or Kansas Division of, of Aging and Disabilities. Um, they have to sign off on kind of how we've structured it. But I think that's one of the first critical steps in kind of making this 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 harmony among all of these these groups that are working with it. Um, this the county is also got some some things going, and then uh, we potentially have another spot for a, a special project person. So uh, we can, I mean, we can certainly give an update um, next month, kind of where we're at with with that process. And I will say, um, you know, like Rebecca and Shannon said, there's there are a lot of meetings happening. And I know personally, I look around a Zoom when I get on it first thing and make sure I either see Shannon, Rebecca, Erica, or Dana on there to make sure that, you know, that the kind of this this is being represented as well. So and Leah is also starting to attend a lot of those meetings. So I think you're gonna start seeing a lot more reporting out and a lot more, um, I think just organically the structuring is going to be coming together in a way that you guys will get more information than you have in the past. And that just comes down to coordination. So hopefully that answered what you wanted me to, Shannon. <laughs> I, I, I really appreciate this. I really do and appreciate all the work that you all are doing. What I don't appreciate is insiders, outsiders. I'm a community person. I don't work for any of the agencies. And I don't appreciate who's inside and who's outside. And I feel like I'm on this board and I'm on the outside because I'm not on the working for the agency, so I don't know what's going on. And that's the piece that I don't appreciate. Yeah, 
Smaller sort of chair. Thank you, everybody, for your comments. Um, I pulled a couple things out of there that I'm going to ask if we can maybe get um, before, you know, at our next meeting or before, possibly. Uh, one, I think we need to have an update at this meeting from someone, I don't know who that is, on the homeless effort of what's going on there and how that might intersect with us. Uh, obviously homeless people ultimately have to have a home. And that's kind of the business we're in that's trying to generate places for people to live. So I think that's an important connection. And then I think the other thing we need to know is how we can get involved, not only as a committee, but as individuals in that city, county, overall, uh, housing plan because uh, we could be involved as a committee or we could also you know take it upon ourselves as individuals to insert ourselves in that project and inform, inform our own opinions. So I think those are two things that I think uh, I would like input on. Probably the update would be obvious at the next meeting, but how we get involved in that process really could come to us other ways uh, before the next meeting in case there are opportunities there before the next meeting. Is there anything else anyone else took from that conversation that you think we can is actionable? That okay, that was a good conversation. I appreciate that we had that. Uh, certainly uh, needed conversation. Okay. Is there any other new business? Okay, seeing none. Uh, on September 13th, we have the uh, CDBG and Home Investment Partnership Program hearing. Uh, following meetings there, October 11th and November 8th. I think that brings us to the end of our meeting. Motion to adjourn. Move to adjourn. Ron moves to adjourn. Do I have a second? Second. Thomas Howe. Thomas Howe. Any discussion? I'm going to call the roll. Ron Gacious. Aye. Sarah Waters. Aye. Thomas Howe. Yep. Rebecca Buford. Aye. Paul Newsom. Aye. Ms. Guffey. Aye. Shannon Howery. Aye. Erica Zimmerman. Aye. Monty Soka. Aye. Motion passes 9-0. Thank you, everybody, for the really good discussion today. Appreciate it. We keep moving forward in the right direction. So thank, thank you. you.